Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Carl Quintanilla with uh, Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from different locations this morning. Once again, the bulls try to add another positive open uh, to this week's rally, despite the intraday sell-off yesterday. Got a busy day ahead with jolts. We'll get some Fed minutes. We've got calls on Twitter, Disney, Apple. Jim, we've got another vaccine candidate out of Novavax today. And you told your club members this morning that we are done selling for now. You've raised the cash for when or if the market starts to revert to its old ways. Exactly, Carl. We've been selling, selling, selling into this strength and now got to be set up uh, for another leg down. Why? Because we're about to go into earnings. Uh, for instance, McDonald's just this morning reported some bad numbers with true forecasts. Well, maybe we're going to see a lot of those once uh, April 14th comes around and we start seeing what the banks are saying. Uh, it is earnings season and we forget. I mean, there's this nice little lull and it's a holiday shortened week. But when we come back, I think we're going to have earnings cut, earnings cut, earnings cut. I've yet to see a stock rally on an earnings cut since the year began. I don't think this is going to be any different. How do we where do we think earnings are are trending? Uh, Because with so many guidance pulls, we got more out of Levi and uh, pins last night. Um, I mean, how do we know what a reasonable model for this year's earnings are? Oh, what a great question, because both Pinterest and Levi's rallied. Why? Because Pinterest said, you know what, we can't forecast, but boy, we have good strength in our uh, in our core business, which is true. I mean, this is a stay-at-home business, and Levi's talks about how it's an iconic brand, and they can do well. But you know what, in the end, I can't hang my hat on that. Those stocks are down very big, and it doesn't seem like there's something I want to be in. I would tell you that there are companies that are going to have better numbers, and they are few and far between, but when you have a constellation brands, and they say, listen, numbers are too low, buy. When you have a Walmart, numbers are too low, buy. When you have someone who says numbers are too high, sell. And and that's no different from any other time. I I don't see anything, unless you tell me that there's going to be in David's world something good, like a T-Mobile, which I keep thinking, wow, you know what, they did this great merger, it's going to go up. I have to tell you, David, I I, I see companies with businesses that are faltering, and I don't want to own them. I don't blame you uh, to a certain extent, particularly given all we don't know and what, frankly, the recovery is going to look like or what what things are really going to look like when we reopen and how that's going to happen, Jim. But when you said my world, were you talking about M&A specifically, no, which I, oh, I can saying, tell you at this point, don't expect to see any of that anytime soon. Oh, because I was just saying, OK, look at this Raytheon. Look how well it does. It turned out that maybe that was a, a bargain because people didn't realize initially there, there's some real synergies. Uh, T-Mobile keeps going up. In other words, if I were a banker, I would say, you know what? I know you think this is a terrible time, but take a look at the acquirers, how well they're doing. And I wish that they would do that because that would be a sign that there's a pulse besides them giving credit to a lot of companies that I, that I think we, we got to admit we're a little surprised they're getting credit. Listen, there's no doubt if we were to see suddenly see M&A uh, where one company says, hey, I have confidence in my future enough that I want to buy you and, uh, and 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 they have enough confidence in where the market is right now or they just feel like whoever the seller is that they need to sell. That would be a positive sign. Right? Uh, I'm not picking it up at all. Mm-hmm. No, uh, the bankers that I'm speaking to uh, and I'm speaking to plenty during the course of the day, all from their homes, of course, they're talking to their clients. They're talking about what the future is going to look like. Most of them, frankly, not really sure exactly what that is. They are expecting that there is going to be a wave of consolidation of some kind, certainly the weak needing. And you pointed this out many times, needing to go, needing to sell potentially. Yeah. But right now. No. And, you know, it's funny. There's a lot of different reasons, whether it's the volatility in the stock market, not being able to really determine what an adequate price is, whether it's perhaps worries in the financing market, even though that doesn't seem as concerned. But there's one key reason, which is when you do a deal, you still need the two principles at some point to meet face to face. Oh, it's too dangerous. And they can't do that right now. No. I mean, David, what are you going to fist pump on a deal? I wouldn't fist pump. Are you do that shoulder nonsense? No, and you're, you're not zooming. Elbow. You're not going to zoom to get a deal done. That's just not happening. So no. you need to have a face-to-face. And it sounds funny, but it is one reason and one of many gating issues on why you're not going to see a lot of deals announced right now. But, 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 Carl, I mean, one thing is certain. This is going to be, if this is the new world, three months from now, we're not going to feel like what David just said. We're going to say, hey, listen, you know what? I love you. Uh, virtual, DocuSign. 
because business yeah. can't stop just because we can't get in a room. Because maybe the new normal is we're not going to get in rooms. I mean, maybe we're all just a, a, a germ-filled anti-paradise. But I just feel like that we're going to have to get ready to to see a big uh, – if UPS were to get together with FedEx, this is not going to happen. But if they did, they could go against Amazon. Uh, if the big oil companies all got together like they did in the 80s, maybe they'd survive. But if they can't because they can't get a handshake, well, shame on them. I mean, I think we have a little more. I mean, look, it's a great. Well, old, it's an old tradition. The first, the first conversation, Jim, the first conversation is often the most important one. And it's very hard. I, you know, I, there's a lot of business that will get done virtually. It's happening right now. But actually, when it comes to a deal, you still need to sit down in the same room with your opposite number and really talk about things, either at the beginning, more often, uh, actually at the beginning than at the end. And by the way, don't forget antitrust, the world you're describing there. I mean, all any of those kinds of deals will require enormous antitrust scrutiny. And again, that is another gating issue on why you're probably not going to see those kinds of deals unless there is true and total uh, destruction in some of these industries, which, by the way, there may be, unfortunately. Wow. I mean, well, Jim, your, your point about uh, the social dynamics are starting to fill in company by company at the micro level. I'm thinking of three examples. One, Lowe's is announcing the creation of what they're calling social distance ambassadors within the store. Mm-hmm. Two, Target curbside up 13. That's an all time high, according right. to Cowan this morning. And then this and then this Bernstein Disney call. Uh, they go to 107 from 155. They're looking at zero park attendance in the second half, 50 percent of capacity next year, Jim, even as Iger talks to Barron's about taking our temperature when we arrive at the parks. I think some people you just have to iconic brands, just like what Chip Berg said last time on the Levi's call. Some brands are iconic and maybe you're going to say, listen, it's iconic, but I'm not going to pay anything for it. Or are you going to say it's iconic when this thing's over? When, not if. Then you want to own Disney. Just the question is, do you want to own it at 79? You want to own it at 75? You want to own it at 90? But I think you want to own it. I, I, I do think, by the way, that Cowan call on Target is very interesting. And why? Not just because it's Oliver Chen. He's a thoughtful guy. But because let's take uh, Macy's. Macy's stores are closed for the most part. So how do you do curbside pickup at a closed store? I had Prologis last night. They're talking about we have six square feet per person of retail space in the U.K., and we got 23 per, uh, per person in the U.S. We have way too many retailers. And I know this is a brutal Darwinian way to think about what's going to happen. But I envision whole parking lots to be able to do testing where there used to be retail stores. And I really and truly am concerned that an outfit like Macy's has to be able to open. We had Manny Chirico on both this morning. Uh, he's the CEO of PVH and on uh, Mad Money. And he keeps saying that retail stores were not built to be closed. And there are so many retailers that will not get through this period without mergers. They should be shotgunning right now. Shame on them if they don't, because they won't be in existence. Jim, you know, it's an obvious, I mean, you're right. It's very hard to imagine how they're going to be able to survive this period. I don't Uh, know. know, In a bit, we'll talk about the high yield, the high yield market starting to open up for certain, for certain uh, businesses that have taken it uh, straight on here in terms of getting a really tough, uh, having a tough time. But retail, hard to imagine because in some ways it just seems to have accelerated what we knew was already coming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's what Prologis was saying to me last night. Now, these largest storage companies are the guys who make it so that Amazon delivers what you ordered yesterday uh, to your house today. Uh, all of the big e-tailers use them, the big e-commerce play. And, you know, we were just marveling. I mean, what we thought was going to happen over many years is happening over many weeks or months. And that's one of the reasons why we keep wondering what's going to happen to the Real Estate Investment Trust. There was a big short-covering move in almost everything. I think it was a counter-trend move yesterday, and we saw the cruise ships up huge. If you were in the $8 carnival, you made a fortune on that thing. You made almost 50% immediately. And the Real Estate Investment Trust that were involved with retail did incredibly well. And I just say, you know what? Good. A chance to lighten up. Because we're not going to have as many retailers, so how are we going to have as many tenants? How many? If I were the cruise ship companies, I'd all get together in a room and say, you know what? We need to be one company. We don't need to compete anymore because we've got to find a way to have a standard of conduct in our industry which says that you've got to wear a mask and we've got to take temperatures. And that's okay. I, I want to have temperatures taken. I want OSHA to tell me that they verified every single person who worked at the Home Depot that I go to today because we're going to need that. That's a new world. But mm. I, I don't understand why people don't understand that. I want, my temp- I want everyone's temperature. Temperature taken. 
Why? What's, what's the matter with that? I mean, it's a bad, tough plate time. Well, but, but I want people to shop. Uh, Jim, the one thing on the temperature is that a lot of people are asymptomatic and don't have a temperature. I mean, that's the... That's the insidiousness of this virus to a certain well, extent that you can be transmitting it conceivably without having a temperature. Right, and we need so everybody it's not to wear clear gloves. to me that that's well, going to be the answer. We've got to cut it back. We have to have gloves and masks, okay, and we have temperature, which all we're doing is trying to limit the contact that we have with people and try to make it so it's less likely we get the virus. We cannot eradicate this virus by using anything that we do. And I'm really kind of sick and tired of hearing that we're plateauing and that's good. We plateauing. Well, that's just great. They plateaued in Madrid the other day where my daughter is. If that's a plateau, let me tell you, it's Wiley Coyote at the end of the plateau. We do not want this. What we want is eradication. And in short of eradication, we have to do a lot of things that make it so, you know what? We are going to make it so the odds are better that we don't get sick. And that's all we can do. But let's better the odds. Hey, where's OSHA? You know, in the Labor Department? Right? It's in the Labor Department. That's a good Google question, it. Jim. I, I mean, Google the first it the other time- day. First time we've mentioned that agency uh, in the light of it. They're going to have its occupational uh, safety and safety and health administration, right? I mean, it's going to be they're going to have huge responsibilities making sure that the employees are safe and that the customers are safe. In the other day, the old days when I switched into that Jimmy Chill mode, I would say, hey, you know what happened to that? No, I mean, OSHA should be front and center right now. OSHA should be saying, "Okay, here's how we protect our workers. Uh, here's how we protect the customers who come in, but really the workers. And the workers need to break. David, you're absolutely right. Temperature, there's still a gap. The Abbott test, I think you should have, the, right. if we can ramp up the Abbott test in one month, everybody has to be but, tested. Now, is this a new yep. world? Well, it's a new world to we eradicate. I mean, polio was right. a new world to they eradicated. Now, you're right, Jim. Listen, all of these things go back to the challenges that we're going to have in terms of reopening the economy and how that is going to work. It's so vitally important we figure it out and we get there and we get there as soon as possible. Yep. But there's no shortage of different impediments, one could imagine, in terms of checking off those boxes where people will really feel comfortable going out and doing things in their life again yep. in a in a robust way. And there's a difference between going to the grocery store, getting your temperature taken, and taking a long vacation, and hoping your temperature's not high once you get there. Exactly. We're going to take a quick break, guys. A lot more Squawk on the Street continues in just a moment. I know we're on information overload, but you can't get enough from the man who is the Treasury Secretary of the United States, Stephen Mnuchin. Good to always have you back, Mr. Secretary. Great, Jim. Always good to be with all of you. Okay. Phenomenal, successful, this program. Phenomenally. Imagine, so successful, that we need more money already, which is great because it's small and medium-sized businesses. Community banks do a terrific job, going to go into some of the larger banks not doing as well. But can we now do the trillion-dollar war bond? Uh, 1.75% I'm willing to give you. We know that uh, Speaker Pelosi's in favor of it. We uh, know that Larry Kudlow's in favor of it. We need the money. I want to give the Treasury money. Why? To put people to work, I feel, help us. So do 317 million other people. Can we have a way, like March of Dimes against polio, to give you money so you can beat COVID? Jim, here's my idea for the 50-year. We're going to be auctioning off 30 years and 20 years. Buy one of each, and it's the 50-year. That'll give us twice as much money, and uh, we appreciate your efforts. So 50-year, we would be able to, can we earmark it, or is it just a 50-year treasury? And we, can't we just note it as COVID so that we know who our enemy is? It's a common enemy, Democrat and Republican. Jim, we're raising... Over $2 trillion, as you know, for our COVID relief. We're raising it all across the curve. And uh, we have tremendous demand for U.S. Treasuries. Everybody wants to buy U.S. Treasuries. It's the safe haven. So uh, it's being very well received. And I just want to comment, the SBA event we had yesterday with the president at the White House yesterday, it was a great success. He got to speak to both community bankers as well as the large bankers. Again, we have 3,500 lenders up on the system, with many more getting signed up every day. And I want to assure all small businesses out there, we will not run out of money. The president has asked us to go back to Congress. We hope they pass this tomorrow and Friday. And we want to assure everybody, if you don't get a loan this week, you'll get a loan next week or the following week. The money will be there. All right, Mr. Secretary, you know I support this program with everything I have. I think it's fantastic. The community bankers have stepped up in a way that I cannot believe. And the small and medium size are going to be saved by that. How about the large guys? I go to City's site today, and I'm pro-City. I think great bank. It says, City's working with the SBA to provide relief to small business owners. While we are working as quickly as we can, we are not yet able to accept 
applications for the Paycheck Protection Program. Meanwhile, Charlie Sharp, one of the greatest bankers, Wells Fargo, the biggest small business lender in the country, is constrained by something that Janet Yellen did during the Friday before the Super Bowl two years ago. Let's change that. They should be able to give all the loans they want. We need Wells and City involved if this thing's going to be a, a success, Mr. Secretary. Well, let me, let me just comment. Uh, I, I think overall the banks have done a phenomenal job, as you said. Some of them are further ahead. I just want to reemphasize this was, this was just launched last Friday. So, I mean, we're literally three days into this. Um, I can tell you the Fed has put out uh, a notice that they're going to be doing a program, a 13-3 program, such that they can buy these loans. So that's going to provide, you know, in excess of $350 billion of liquidity. I know the Fed is speaking to all the banks, so we, we want to make sure both the SBA, the Fed, Treasury, everybody's working with all the banks. Let me just comment, you know, there, there were a lot of banks that were signed up that hadn't used this system in a long time. The SBA has signed up over 30,000 individual people to be entitled on the system, and every day they sign up thousands more because at every single bank you have lots of people that need to be entitled to approve these loans. Okay, well, I think that, that, look, again, I think the system is great. I I know when I pick up the Times today, small business borrowers frustrated by loan delays. Well, I mean, it's only been a couple of days, and you were probably, I know you worked all weekend, and everyone's working all weekend, and it's certainly not for lack of work. I know that there's technology issues, but no one ever thought this would happen. But it does lead me to think, why don't we do something in the interim for everybody who's in a jam, mortgage-wise and rent-wise? What's the problem with just, instead of just canceling mortgages, which I don't think is good for the system, we just tack on 30 days to the end of a mortgage, uh, 30 days to the end of a lease, and we literally pay people to stay at home so we can beat this thing, get the testing that we need, and open up America at the time when, let's just shoot for something. How about we shoot for the All-Star game? Something that is all American. We gotta shoot for a date, Mr. Secretary, and it can't be wild high. Well, I know the president is working on a date. I know he wants to reopen the economy as soon as we we get uh, the appropriate all clear and things are looking good, and I know he wants to do that soon. Um, as it relates to mortgages, let me just say most of the mortgage market, I think you know, is Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae, FHA, VA. Uh, as it relates to all of those, we've already put out guidance that uh, borrowers that have issues can call up. And as you said, their, their payments will be tacked up on the end. And my understanding is that the banks for their own portfolio have already instituted a very similar issue. So where we could mandate people on government-related loans. We did, and uh, we've encouraged the banks to work on the private loans. So I know that's added much-needed relief to uh, borrowers who are having issues in these difficult times. Mr. Secretary, it's David Faber. Speaking of relief, uh, I've noted this in the past, and I know you're aware of it. Companies with more than 500 employees who are not investment-grade, who conceivably are in need of a lot of capital right now, Is Treasury thinking about a new plan to try to address that group? Uh, I've heard that there is at least this idea that a lot of large investors might be putting money in towards a fund that could then be levered by Treasury to access capital for these businesses at some appropriate interest rate. Is that a real effort undergone, uh, being uh, being looked at by Treasury right now? It's a very real effort. It's not something we're just thinking about. It's something we've been actively working on for the last week. We've been having daily calls with the Fed. This would be a 13-3 facility uh, that we, we call the Main Street Lending Facility for companies that are, as you said, over the 500 persons and below the, the corporate facilities that we've announced. And we hope to have an announcement this week with the details on that and get it up and running as soon as we can. Um, Mr. Secretary, on Monday, the president removed um, uh, the chairman of the federal panel or that was overseeing uh, the CARES Act, uh, Glenn Fine. He had been acting Pentagon inspector general, and he was going to be the inspector general for the CARES program. He's been replaced by another gentleman with that job previously at the EPA. Uh, can you tell us why the president did that, if you know why, and whether or not that's going to create any tension with Congress when you do go back for more money? Because we've certainly gotten statements from the likes of Nancy Pelosi indicating they were unhappy with that move by the president. 
Well, I, th- I think the president thought that the the appropriate oversight was was very important, and that's why he wanted to move forward quickly and nominate someone for this position. I think you know this is a new inspector general that was set up under the the, the CARES Act. It's someone who has a lot of experience. Uh, and uh, I, I look forward to working with him. I think, as you know, we very much support proper oversight. There's also going to be a congressional oversight committee. We have enhanced disclosure. So I, I think the American public deserves to know what's going on, given the amount of money that we'll be putting out. Mr. Secretary, you say the president wants to reopen the economy soon, and, and Cudlow yesterday did say that the, they would, he would wait Uh, the green light from health officials. But once that process begins, are you going to prioritize states that, say, contribute to GDP? Are you going to prioritize states that were either most or least affected by the crisis in the first place? Well, my my expectation is that we'll be opening it up based upon medical conditions. So obviously we'd like to open up as much GDP as we can. But, you know, my expectation is that places like New York are going to take a little bit longer. And there's many areas of the country that have very little uh, disease uh, and have been very effective at combating this. So I think we'll be looking at it on a medical basis. All right, Mr. Secretary, I, like I think many people in this country, are sick of the blame game. We're sick of who did this wrong and who did that wrong. Enough already. Let's think positive and let's think what's going forward. I say we got to keep the pressure on, not the media, not the Senate, not the Congress, not the president. Keep the pressure on COVID. COVID is the enemy. So why don't we offer a big prize to anybody who tries to who, who gets this thing dead? Why don't we offer a March of Dimes like uh, prize where we found out uh, Dr. Salk at University of Pittsburgh killed the thing. No one thought he could do it. Why don't we offer a plan? Some people offer a plan to get the economy restarted and we, and we give them a prize. We give a biotech company a prize. I think we've got to change the, the spirit here, Mr. Secretary. There is way too much complaining and bitching and not enough about how do we kill this thing called COVID, which is who unites us. Well, Jim, I I agree with you. The best way to open up the the economy and kill this is for medical breakthroughs. And let me just say, we, we have the most advanced medicine in the world. We already have all the medical professionals working together. I don't think they need a big prize. I think they all understand there is a big prize, which is killing this virus. This is a giant project. And I think we have the best minds working on this, and I look forward to to great advances. I know the president has already approved many drugs uh, for compassionate use. I think there's more drugs that he's going to be approving. Um, I know we have now corporate America working together to basically kill this virus and provide the the needed relief of, of various different medical tools. There's no doubt about it. Corporate America wants to even do more, but is, but is looking for guidance and guidance from you, sir. You're a business person. So let me give you some, some things I hear. Retail's basically closed in this country, except for Costco, Walmart, Target, and Amazon. But you know what? There's a lot of space and factory space to be able to build. Instead of shirts, instead of, instead of clothes, instead of dresses, we can build gowns. But someone has to say to these companies, listen, this is wartime. And you've got all those factories overseas in Thailand. you got them in Vietnam. We want to see gowns and we want to see them now. Not just planes from damn China. Why can't we have these retailers do what we need? Make masks. Make gowns. Because there was a thing called the Defense Production Act. And we, we, we used to tell GM that they got to go make planes. Why can't we tell these retailers you got to go make gowns? Jim, I think, as you suggested, a lot of them are making gowns. A lot of them are now making masks. These things do take some time to ramp up. So in the interim, we're buying everything we can. Uh, I I know every day I kind of get suggestions from people that I forward on to the appropriate people in the White House. So I know there's a whole team over in the White House that is working on these supplies to make sure we get these supplies and we get, as you said, U.S. manufacturing. I know the president is very focused on the pharmaceutical issue. He's been working with companies there. So I can assure you there's a, there's a lot of people working on this, and we agree with you. All right, Mr. Secretary, here's a radical action. I'm going to congratulate you on a program that's amazing, unprecedented, great speed, and has helped community banks. I know that's unprecedented to be able to say something just outwardly positive, but you know what? The hell with it. Good job, Mr. Secretary. Thank you for calling in. Thanks, Jim. Great to be with yeah. all of you. Thank you. 
So, Jim, reflections on that, uh, whether it's uh, the plan to reopen the economy, uh, extra long bonds. Uh, what, what do you think? And I also am curious. I'm surprised. I mean, you talk about not playing a blame game, but I am curious as to why you're not more frustrated at the delay we put into plans to test at scale. Cow, um, I forget who has. Cowan has a chart out today of countries of 5 million or more around the world testing as a percentage of the population. The U.S. is last. It, say, I, I know because then the president will immediately say, well, we're first. I mean, I think there's a lot of problems with testing. and I don't want to go into WHO. I mean, Abbott's got a great testing program. They're trying to roll it out. Some people are saying, no, wait a second, it, it, it's good for immediate, but not. We're trying to be an enemy of the good. We're trying to have the best testing in the world. Uh, I think you need to shut down the economy for 30 days, pay people to stay at home and test, test, test. We have been slow to test. Why have we been slow to test? Because I think that we're a federal system that's being devolving into a state system. And the states are, are uh, waiting for federal leadership and the federals are saying, listen, the states want to take leadership. So nobody's taking leadership. So I just think the army should take leadership because at least that's an organization that we all revere in this country and they could do it. They have mobile. They have they can set up hospitals. They're really good at setting up hospitals. They could do the testing. They're trusted. They're loved. And why they're not being used, including one hundred twenty five thousand medical professionals that are in the armed forces is beyond me. The Defense Production Act and the one hundred twenty five thousand medical professionals are the people that I know I would look to, but you have to call them out because we live in a society that's not run by the military, unlike the, the PRC, which is really run by the military. So you got to take some <laughs> radical federal action. And without I mean, look, I'm trying to be pot. I mean, I, I thought that the program's good. I'm, I'm frustrated. I, I'm frustrated because this damn COVID is this darn COVID is much more intractable than we think. And I think that it drives me crazy that, that, that Wuhan's open. Because what they had to do to get Wuhan open was to suppress the amount of civil liberties that would be unconscionable in our society. But it worked for them. And it's frustrating to me to see that yeah. a, a, a military yeah. communist totalitarian dictatorship win and a democracy just completely ill-suited to win. Yeah. And then, uh, guys, uh, journal piece today about the reopening of Wuhan, a, a rise in new asymptomatic cases that was deleted online, as our Eunice Hewn pointed out on Twitter. So uh, it's, I mean, a lot, that's why a lot of charts are ex-China, Jim. We just can't trust what they're saying. No, you can't trust them one bit. And I think that I'm, uh, I think that there are other countries to look to, South Korea, Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan was ready. Okay, now we hear Taiwan's ready for SARS, whatever. I know our market's ready for some good news. And I'm always surprised at how resilient it is, given the fact that we are, uh, unemployment is rising, mortgage numbers were, were bad. Uh, but the credit markets are wide open. I can't believe it was getting a lot of credit. It's incredible. It's very loose. Fed doing its job. <laughs> but the thing that we really do need is we need a general marshal. We need someone who is apolitical. I mean, even, look, the only thing we're talking about with the military is, is a guy who went over the loudspeaker and trashed a captain. They were both served well on the cap. I don't know. I mean, I couldn't read. It's like the Kane mutiny over there. Uh, but it, it's like everything's a novel. Uh, Terry Gross is interviewing Stephen King. I'm going to tune in today to see what happens. I do, But I do think that <laughs> it, it is important to try to be a little united. And I'm trying to come up with organizations like when General Marshall told FDR, when he called him George, he goes, Mr. President, it's, it's General Marshall. I would love to see someone who can say, I'm General Marshall and this is what we need to do. Shut down the economy. Everybody tests. Everybody Everybody wear masks until we figure this thing out and then give a prize. And I disagree with the secretary entirely on giving a prize because what we need are people who are just outside the box thinking, because right now we sure don't have it. Right now, we are just every day we yeah. come in and maybe there's a test. Maybe maybe they're wearing a mask and maybe they're not. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm not afraid. I'm willing to go out wherever I have to. I'm not as, you know, as. I'm more cowardly than my father was in World War II. Um, but I'm willing to go to the store. I just wish that everybody wore a mask. So I can't get you sick and you can't get me sick. And we wear gloves. And, and I wish there was PPE for everybody. And there obviously isn't. And the fact that there isn't PPE for everybody is a national scandal. And we all know that. Um, guys, you know, there was one other thing I thought Mnuchin said that was interesting. I asked this question of Kudlow the other day as well, but Mnuchin answered it much more specifically, which is trying to figure out a way to get capital at a reasonable rate to those businesses that have more than 500 employees but are not investment grade. He certainly seemed to indicate Treasury. Well, I think I think we he said we're working on it. We're getting very close to something using the Fed's Main Street lending facility, perhaps as a way to get that money into those hands at some sort of interest rate. It'll be interesting to see what they come up with there. But that's sort of seen as a gap 
uh, in at least what, what was uh, done with the CARES Act in terms of getting to those companies, and Mnuchin certainly addressing it square on. Jim, you, when you raise China, I keep coming back to it as well and wondering, uh, as we move along here uh, through, of course, dealing with this virus, right. where we're going to be with China. I mean, we spent so much of the last couple of years talking about our relationship with that country in respect, of course, to the trade dispute between our two countries. Now we've got a virus that originated in Wuhan. Uh, by the way, uh, Huawei not going to be able to get those chips conceivably. Right. That's what we're hearing in terms of the U.S. saying no to Huawei's ability to actually get important chipsets. Um, continued and increased hostility between the two countries uh, would seem to be more the rule than the exception. I just think that's an important relationship to keep an eye on as we wonder and, and, and talk about life after the virus. Oh, boy, you have a right, David. At one point, I was thinking, when you go back in your history during the, uh, the New Deal, uh, things got restarted, and then in 37, the Fed jacked up rates, and things went right back. But the, but the actual real recovery that happened was only because of World War II and the incredible building that we had to do. I keep thinking about this book, Ghost Fleet, a novel of the next World War, which is when the Chinese figured out how to be able to jam our Navy. Uh, and, uh, again, that was a, a novel. But I do think that it wouldn't be wrong to be thinking about what the Defense Department's doing here, what's going on in terms of the fact that are we going to be a second-rate nation versus the Chinese? Is anyone willing to talk about that, or is that just too dangerous? Because I think if they're back 100%, and we're, we're not, then, you know, I, don't, I think it's, remember the Belt and Road Initiative? They'll be back. They'll be funding all, company, all the countries that were thought of as our allies. I'm quite concerned that this is a Chinese power play right here. And I know that the guy in the administration, Peter Navarro, is the guy who's most uh, concerned about that. He's caught up in some memo that he did or didn't send that said good things or bad things. But I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, Carl, I'm looking at it and thinking, did the, Chinese in, did the Chinese in three months become the number one power in the world? Uh, after a month in which they uh, finally signed a trade deal that they dragged their heels on for a year? I, I, I mean, these are questions that are impossible to answer, Jim. But speaking of power plays, um, we're, I know you were talking oil with, uh, with Joe prior to the, the show this morning, and there's another discussion about who wins there. Did the Saudis win? Uh, what do the Russians really want? What's going to happen tomorrow? There's, uh, five, the Canadians are getting $5 per barrel for Western crude. $5. Uh, that would mean that ultimately maybe we're going to get zero dollars. And yet the oil companies are trading up. I mean, the market is so funny. The market acts. It's up 20 percent for the bottom. The market acts as we are about to uh, have opening day. And now we're, they're thinking about having an opening day, according to ESPN, in Phoenix. And all games played in Phoenix. That's a terrific idea if you lived in Phoenix. Uh, but we're sitting here watching interest rates go high and buy stocks going up again. And I don't know, there's a curious disconnect between when you speak to the companies, most of which are closed, and uh, what's going on in the market today. And I, I find it, I, I keep thinking maybe the market knows something we don't. Uh, maybe they know of, uh, of an antiviral. I mean, David, you, know, you got to admit, you, uh, the, you do have to think that the market knows something that we don't know. The collective wisdom. I mean, I spoke to Dave Tepper yesterday, and we're both kind of marveling. Yeah. Geez, it's been bullish. Why? I, listen, I have those same conversations during the course of the day as well. And to your point, the collective wisdom of the market perhaps seeing something that, that, is, that is a positive. Maybe it is simply the rate of infection or the rate of hospitalizations in New right. York uh, slowing. Um, you know, the idea that we are going to reopen at some point. But most of the conversations I have end up with somebody saying, no one knows what it looks like when we come out of this. Right. Um, no one knows anything. I mean, it sort of ends up there, regardless of your expertise, regardless of how, how uh, detailed you are and rigorous you are in terms of all aspects of the economy, nobody seems to know much of anything in terms of what's really coming, Jim. Uh, and I guess that's a difficult thing to say, but the market seems to say it's not going to be perhaps as bad as been feared a couple of weeks ago. Right. I mean, one of the things that's incredible, if you go back to think about 2008, 2009, 2007, nobody could get any credit. I mean, I remember thinking, geez, look at that Caterpillar commercial credit line. Is that going to be in trouble? Now it's like, hey, you want some credit? I, I, you want some money? I mean, when, when Carnival Cruise raised all that money, what's the, while there, uh, there's a criminal investigation about a cruise ship, there are 600 people who are sick and 11 have died. You know, doesn't that say, David, that pretty much anybody can get money? I mean, isn't that like your world's Although worst borrower? 
Well, although, I mean, the Saudis took 8% uh, and uh, cruise, cruise liners use a lot of oil. And they made a killing. <laughs> they, they did well. They did well. Oh, boy. Gallows humor does not fly at all at this moment. David, I'm going to yeah. hand it off to you because I know you've got something important to say. Yeah, I do. I want to talk about the capital markets and I want to talk specifically, guys, about the high yield uh, market because we are going to see it open up uh, this morning or uh, today, later today, when the first deal of size is priced. Uh, Jeffries here have been working on this for Landry's. You guys know this company well, Timlin Fertitta, a uh, frequent guest, of course, on our network. Uh, You know, they furloughed 40,000 employees very early on in this crisis, 600 restaurants, five casinos, numerous hotels. That's Landry's. Remember, he owns the Houston Rockets separately. But you're talking about a company that had as much as $700 million in cash flow going to zero in the space of a couple of weeks. And that's sort of where Landry's has found itself. Today, I can tell you that they are going to close on either $250 or perhaps as much as $300 million in high-yield debt that they will be raising. The pricing is, well, incredible when you put it in perspective, of course, because this is a company that only a month ago or so was borrowing at 4.5%. It's now going to be LIBOR plus about 12 or 12.5%. The bonds are going to be sold at a bit of a discount. So the overall rate of return or the interest rate will be roughly, let's call it between 13 and 14%. Again, for a company borrowing at 4.5% only five or six weeks ago before things uh, got closed down in the U.S. economy. That said, this is considered a very good operator. There is a great deal of demand for the offering, I'm told, perhaps as much as a billion for what will be $250 million or perhaps $300 million in paper. It's, a, it's callable after two years, and one would expect at 107, and one would expect that it's going to be called right away if this company is in any sort of shape to do that, which, of course, is the point. This is going to take them through the end of this year if they have to get their guys without having any revenue really coming into the company. This would uh, allow them to continue to pay rents, allow them to continue to pay for maintenance on all of their properties. It's not going to result in them hiring people back at this point. That's going to require the reopening of the economy, of course. It goes back to so many of the things we were talking about earlier uh, on the show in terms of how you actually go about doing that. But it does take the company to the end of the year without conceivably any money coming in. And it may be the offering that opens up the high yield market to other companies that are in a similar situation. No fault of their own. Good operators watching their business just go away as a result of the economic shutdown. Now, some say, well, for Tita, we're not quite sure, you know, where his money really all comes from in terms of will he re-equitize if he needed to next year, if this thing did hit even tougher times. That's unclear. But it is clear that they're going to be able to take in that money Uh, at a huge interest rate that will tide them over towards the end of the year, guys. And it's an important offering because it's the first of significance in the high-yield market since the crisis began. Incredible. Because, boy, they they aren't even open. That's what I mean. There's money for for people who aren't working. There's money for people whose businesses are closed. It's extraordinary. There's money for everybody. Yeah, there may be. Uh, and now they're in the same like range, guys, that, yeah, that Mnuchin was talking about when I asked him about that, that, and, uh, that program. And he said it's a real effort, not something we're just thinking about. We're having daily calls with the Fed for a 13-3 facility that we can, Main Street lending facility for companies that are over 500 people, below the corporate facility we announced. He said they hope to have an announcement this week. That's a similar population. Now, in this case, Tillman Fertitta making the decision, I'm just getting the money right away. I don't want to wait for the government and what may come out there and what interest rate that may be available to some companies that are similar. They're just saying we're going to take it. And we expect that deal, by the way, based on the conversations I've had to close later today. All right, David, uh, thanks for that. We'll watch it. Trying to hold 2690. Let's get to Bob Bassani this morning. Hey, Bob. Well, it's a good start, but remember something. It was a very good start yesterday. This is another gap up that we've seen here three days in a row. We've gapped up rather nicely. Uh, But again, good start yesterday. And actually, the same leadership group today started out as the leadership group yesterday. And those are the sectors that are most beaten up. So we see energy up. 
banks up, retail, this look familiar. Interestingly, REITs are lagging a little bit. Consumer staples also were lagging yesterday. So this has a very, very similar pattern. We'll see if this plays out. Remember, we had a 90-point gain in the S&P 500 that essentially evaporated. And I think the question everybody's trying to figure out is, where are we? Are we in a bull market or are we in a bear market? What is it? I'm calling it the markets in the middle because, frankly, you can argue uh, both ways here. And I think it's very simple here. The people who were screaming the market was the buy of a lifetime two weeks ago, well, they don't have as much of an argument now with the markets. Look, 22% off of the bottom that we've seen in the last week or so. And we are, by the way, 21% off the 52-week highs, the historic highs on February 19th. At the lows, we were 35% off. So is this a bull market or a bear market? You tell me. I just say markets in the middle. What it means, folks, is we've essentially regained 45% of our losses maybe that we've had, that's a significant rally. So everybody says, oh, it's the buy of a lifetime. Well, maybe, but you know, rhetorically, it's a little harder to argue now considering what a long slog we have. The risk-reward ratio has changed dramatically because of the size of the moves. And if you look at some of the names that are out there in the Dow stock, I'm just picking some Dow stocks right now, since the February 21 close. Remember February 21, that weekend when things started to really fall apart, the coronavirus headlines started getting really serious. Well, Walmart's actually up since then. Verizon's only down 2%. Merck's only down five, 3M's down eight, Microsoft is down nine. These are not trivial declines, but compared to you know where we were a couple of weeks ago, uh, this is well, well off of the lows for a lot of the big names here. So the good news, I think, is that the strategists, the top-down guys, they're starting to coalesce on their opinions on 2020 earnings. They're still clueless, but they've gone from utterly clueless, at least to figuring out where some numbers might be. And if you look at some of these estimates, it's coalescing around 20 to 30 percent decline for 2020. Now, obviously, this can change, but I'm heartened by even just a 10-point swing here. Uh, RBC is the more optimistic. Goldman's a little more pessimistic. But let's lose use down 20%. Even assuming a 20% decline in earnings, the market's still pretty expensive right now. That would be 20 times forward earnings right now. So it's, it's tough. And remember, we've got a very long slog. Every day, the thing I look at, withdrawn guidance and furloughs, because it's a very good reminder of what's going on here. And today we had several again. So McDonald's, for example, came out. They withdrew their guidance. Uh, Pinterest came out. They withdrew their guidance. Levi's uh, last night, they came out. They withdrew their guidance. Tesla is furloughing people uh, left and right. Dick's sporting goods. You can see the wide array of people. This is a refreshing way to get up every morning and remind yourself, OK, look, the Fed may have the ultimate bazooka, as Larry Kudlow said yesterday. That was widely passed around. And maybe Mr. Kudlow's right. Don't fight. The Fed is right. But it's a long slog. And looking at the uh, withdrawn guidance and the furloughing every day, in my opinion, guys, is a very refreshing way to remind yourself that this is still a very, very long slog. And maybe that's why we get those failed rallies late in the day, like the ones we had yesterday. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks for that. Uh, We are going to get Fed minutes at 2 o'clock, and that's going to reflect a frenzied response back in March. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Morning, Rick. Yes, frenzied response is a good way to put it and hold in our minds that we are now in a range of zero to 25 on uh, the Fed funds range because that's going to be important here. All the charts I'm using are basically two-week charts because I think it gives us an interesting perspective. If you look at a two-year note over the last two weeks, remember I said zero to 25 is the range. What this chart tells me is it's going to be very difficult to do a sustained trade over about 30 basis points, which makes sense when you think about the range and then proximity to your note to the very short end, of course, that is under the thumb of the Federal Reserve, although pretty much the entire yield curve during this point in time uh, can be viewed as under the thumb of the central bank. And maybe it's not in a bad way because of the unfortunate circumstances uh, as to the reasoning being coronavirus. If you look at a 10-year, what should jump out at you is 75 basis points. Three quarters of 1% is going to be a difficult area to do sustained trading above. We have had times, you know, it was uh, about two weeks ago, we shot up to the 120s. Didn't last long, made everyone nervous. It was considered a warning sign on the gears starting to grind. But at this point, there's so much liquidity out there that we really should uh, look at a slightly higher increase over three quarters of of 1% as a good thing. Look at Boone's. What jumps out at you on the Boone chart is just that it keeps firming up. Unlike the U.S., uh, the 
European Central Bank has a bunch of different issues to contend with without really a, a federal uh, charter constitution for all the countries and a central bank that could issue debt for all the countries. So it's going to be much more difficult. That's reflected in this rising rate. Finally, the dollar index. Strength. All you see here is strength, and that strength seems to be defined by an area of around 101. You know, we toss around so many things right now. Recession is the big thing that's being tossed around. And when I look at what's going on in Germany and France and the news of the day, I get it. They were basically on the verge of a real recession. But what's going on in the world shouldn't be really viewed, in my opinion, as a recession. The word has negative connotations. If it was up to me, we'd be calling it the great cessation because that's what it is. It's a cessation of activities. And there is a huge difference. And I think that this type of branding will go a long way in putting in focus the fact that it isn't a negative when business aren't showing GDP or we're not bringing in volume or we're not showing any type of sales because it's a cessation. And I think that we need to make sure we focus on the fact that we could be as negative as we want. I look out the window in Chicago and people are doing all the right things. But over time, something has to change. We all know that we can feel it. I'm not sure what it is, but I think a good way to start is to call it what it is. David, back to you. Okay, Rick. Thank you, Rick Santelli. Don't miss Michael Dell. Going to be a guest on Squawk Alley later this morning. We've got a lot more Squawk on the Street coming for you right after this. Breaking news this morning on DuPont. For that, we'll turn to Seema Modi. Hey, Seema. Hey, Carl. So DuPont, in collaboration with FedEx and the Department of Health and Human Services, is airlifting 420,000 protective garments uh, from its manufacturing facility in Vietnam to the U.S. That shipment, I'm being told, is, arrives today to FEMA, where it will then be distributed to U.S. hospitals and COVID-19 testing centers across the nation. John Richard, the head of DuPont Safety, telling me that they're using this air bridge approach to expedite these shipments, and uh, they will continue to do so so they can deliver thousands of garments every week until the U.S. government tells them to stop. Now, in response to the coronavirus crisis, DuPont has delivered more than 9 million garments a month. Uh, so far, and they continue to ramp up production of not just the Tyvek suits uh, that you will see many medical professionals wearing, but also the polyethylene fabric. Uh, they've ramped up production of that by 50%. That fabric, of course, used to manufacture these garments. We'll see if it's enough. It's certainly a move that DuPont is taking as they watch other companies that specialize in protective gear uh, face a lot of criticism, including 3M and General Motors. Carl, back to you. Yeah, uh, to the other big names that are uh, in that supply chain debate this week. Thanks so much, Seema. We'll take one more quick break here. We'll start uh, again at the top of the hour. Squawk in the streets back in just a moment. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Okay, today, Wed Bush um, has a really important note, and it says that Darden is the stock to buy. Uh, that's uh, Olive Garden. Why is it so important they went from a hold to buy? The reason why the, it's important that the community banks give the money with alacrity, which they are, to uh, under what Secretary Mnuchin was talking about, is because we don't want a situation where the only guy left standing is Olive Garden. Uh, a lot of the restaurants that I know have gone out, gone out of business. They've shuttered. I mean, shuttered when I say like plywood, like like a hurricane. So uh, we we recognize the Wedbush piece just says who's got the balance sheet at Starden. Who doesn't have the balance sheet? All those companies trying to get to the small business loans. So come on, City. Come on, Wells Fargo. Come on, Fed. Let Wells Fargo lend. They're the largest lender or else we're all going to be eating at Olive Garden, which, by the way, has an unlimited salad bowl to die for. True. Great rolls, too, by the way. Fabulous. I like Capital Grill, too, for that uh, matter. Yeah. J- Jim, you mentioned uh, Webbush upping Darden. Yep. Uh, you had uh, Bernstein upping Twitter. You yes. had Piper take Apple back to 300. I mean, there's some bullish calls today. Absolutely. Which, no, does uh, that run afoul of uh, your general view? I dropped my Apple watch. So I have to wear the stupid Breitling. Don't listen. Well, my father's not alive. He doesn't hear he loved Breitling. He had a knockoff one. They got a Canal Street. Always said it was better than this one. But uh, we need to have an, uh, if we can get an, uh, an Apple Watch that can tell your temperature. We just go like this. We scan and we can get in the store. David doesn't like that, but I love it because David doesn't want to watch. But that would be a great idea. Um, I, I think that the Apple stuff is very positive because what it says is, you know what, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Don't forget, China's big for Apple. Uh, retail is eventually going to be open. There are some good calls. Uh, I think that the issue is over and over again, when do we open? And which is why I was so excited that there could be an opening day. Uh, Not excited that all baseball will be played in the Phoenix area. That 
still trying to get my arms around that. Imagine. Yeah, you're refer- you're referencing this uh, ESPN report that MLB yeah. and the players' union Phoenix. are working on something they could have training camp back in May. Yeah, how about? I mean, why Phoenix? I mean, how about? I, I hope they don't play the World Series in Pandemic Island. David, I, I, Googled, I Googled it. It's, a, it's an archipelago. Um, I've got more on this. this is- it, archipelago, and all the hedge funds got places there. And when the market's down, they're there. And when the market's up, they're saying, hey, listen, I think the market's going to go down. David had references. This is a joke. It's not the Seychelles, which I used to think were called, I mispronounced them, like the Seychelles, uh, but or like Seychelles. Uh, like the, re- yeah. I remember a, one of those Sports Illustrated's from my youth. I think. Well, Christy Brinkley, maybe, when they did it from those islands. I don't know. It just comes back to me. Pandemic islands? 78. Yeah. yeah. Those were good times. What was that they? island yeah. in Pinocchio's on? That swimsuit issue. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This oh, is our little this this is a window yeah. where yeah. we make fun of rich hedge funds that come on and cry and are, have fallout shelters where, believe me, they do not have favor, favorite Chef Boy or D. Chef Boy or D. No, they do not. They do not they have do favor, not. favorite. And they don't drink Tang. We didn't drink Tang, which always <laughs> my parents told me meant that we were not doing badly. We have to reset here, whatever that means. I'm usually not on the 10. <laughs> well, it generally, Jim, it generally means we say to our viewers, uh, good Wednesday morning. <laughs> Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Favor, Jim Kramer, and Sarah Eisen, who joins us for the hour. Uh, once again, a bit of a fade after the uh, initial open. Um, interesting, Sarah. Art Cashin this morning. It's nice to have his commentary back. Uh, watch 2625, he says this morning. Below that, you might run into some air pocket selling. Although his broader point was, uh, despite the intraday sell-off yesterday, the overall breadth makes him think that maybe the bulls do have the initiative for now. Yeah, although yesterday was pretty brutal if you were bullish and, and, and you were hoping for some constructive action that we really had reached a bottom. We wiped out more than 900 points in the Dow. The close was all over the place. Uh, it was a nail biter, as Mohammed Alarian said on Twitter. And, and today we're seeing, you know, signs of, of a rebound. Jim, it's interesting that energy is one of the best performing groups today. Oil's bouncing. But even yesterday, off of that 8% decline in crude oil, energy stocks held up. And I, and I wonder, you know, bargain hunting, whether, whether that tells us anything about a, whether how, how tethered stocks are to the price of oil, obviously, with it not being the biggest issue because of this health crisis and, and also what it means that people are dipping back into those energy stocks. Yeah, look, I think it's a great point. It, it kind of reminds me of some of the restaurants, the retailers like Kohl's got to 10. It, it doubled. I mean, I think people feel that it was wrong to think that all the energy companies could go under. And I want to reiterate that I don't like the energy stocks because I think that there are ESG issues when they, even they move up. But. It's Diamondback, symbol FANG, the wrong FANG, obviously, but Diamondback, EOG, okay, Pioneer, and Parsley. Those are the ones that RBN has said, and that's my, my, it's Rusty Brazil, that they can do well here. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 